Welcome to another edition of An Artifactual Journey. I'm your host, Philip J. Merrill, and today, you know it, I'm excited. I'm always fired up, but especially today because I'm talking to none other than retired firefighter George Collins, uh, retired from the Baltimore City Fire Department, but I'm here on behalf of being the president of the African-American Firefighters Historical Society. Wow, that's a mouthful. Congratulations for all of the accomplishments. Thank you. Now, I have to ask you, growing up, what did you want to be <laughs> besides an adult? <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually wanted to be a lawyer. Really? And then I found out that it was uh, eight extra years of school, not just the four for <laughs> college. And that kind of put a, a rethought on that. And you wanted to be I, a lawyer because someone in your community, your family, what gave you that kind of inspiration? You know, watching the news and watching people, that, I guess it might have been Perry Mason. I, I started uh, to say Perry Mason. I said, <laughs> please don't say Perry Mason. Please don't. <laughs> Okay, so how do we get from wanting to be an attorney to end up working for the Baltimore City Fire Department? Well, that, that was a pretty long journey. And well, you can I give me the also, short version. You can give me the truncated uh, version. Yeah, 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 I'll give you the short version. <laughs> I'm an electrician by trade, okay, so I okay. started that. Uh, I did 20-some years in the Air Force Reserve, so when I came out mm. at uh, 17, I was in the Reserve, so when I came out of the basic training and tech school, I came back home, and my mother mentioned to me an apprenticeship program. So I went into this apprenticeship program to be an electrician, and successfully went through that. And as we all know, as some know, that the construction industry goes up and down. Yes, indeed, indeed. <laughs> I was in about 15 years in the uh, electrical trade. So I'm in my early 30s, and my grandmother mentions that someone in church had talked about the application, fire department taking applications. Nice, so, nice. That's why I always tell people to recruit everywhere because you never know where that person is that's going to take the application. That's right, that's right. Which church was this, by the way? Man of Bible Baptist Church, uh, Reverend Joseph Brown, founding pastor. That's right on Belvedere Avenue in Palmer, right across from the Pimlico Racetrack. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the people that want to know where that was. Okay, this is great. So it's really because of your grandmother being in church. Yes. I love that. I love it. Love it. So I tell everybody that I recruit now, and they look at me funny. I don't (laughs) want to be a firefighter. I said, I didn't either. I said, but. I just applied to shut my grandmother up, so no. why don't you just shut me up right, and, right, right. And, and take the application, you know? And how many years did you put in with the city fire department? 23. 23 years? Yes. And I always ask people, if you could do it again, would you? Definitely. I wish I'd have done it earlier. Wish you'd done it earlier? So you got out rel- relatively unscathed, so you didn't have knee replacements or hip or shoulder or rotor cuff or any type of damage like that? No. Really? Yeah, it's a very dangerous job, so let's not take that away. Right. But you're not fighting fires every day, 24 hours a day. Right, you're spending quite a bit of time (laughs) resting. You're doing other things. Yes, yes, okay. You got got EMS calls, you got false alarms, you just got general engagement with people for different things. Right, and you have uh, keeping the equipment clean and so forth. Right. 
Okay, so so now I have a better understanding of who I'm really talking to. Let's fast forward to when you first meet Philip J. Merrill, and when would that have been? You came to a Vulcan Blazers <laughs> meeting, and you did a presentation, and I said, hey, this guy sounds like he's pretty serious. He comes with a background, just your delivery. I could tell you were serious about it. Thank you. And you got to give a hat tip to retired firefighter, Chief Bullet. Yes, because he was the driving force to make that happen. Great, great. And I always like to give credit where credit is due. Yeah, good man, good man, good man, fire department, good man in his community. And we have a couple of his mentees who were firefighters at the time that are now chiefs. I love it. Look at that impact and legacy. Is that fabulous? Yes, it is. And during that time, I think the president was Sherry... Luck, yes. Yes. Was she the first woman head of the Vulcan Blazers? Yes, yes. First woman. Well, she was first vice president. So she was the first woman to be vice president. Then the natural progression was to be president. So, so then she became the first president as well. Yes. And so her letter on letterhead is within our archives from that time period? Look, she, she's the first and so far only. So <laughs> that, that really makes it sweet. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> and are you still located over by Park Circle? Yes, they are still at 2811 Druid Park Drive, that is correct, okay. in the circle of Park Circle. So, thanks to Chief Pulley, I was able to go around and get authorization release forms signed by very important retired pioneering firefighters in their older years. Awesome. It's powerful to hear their stories and their voice. That is true, and I find it at this point very important even myself, to spend as much time uh, with these individuals to check on them. And they really appreciate it. Some of these guys in their 80s. Right, right. And and you couldn't do what you did if it wasn't for them. And I definitely am not one of those people that just say, I stand on your shoulders. I show that I appreciate it. In preparation for you today, I quickly went through our extensive funeral program archive. I pulled out two important funeral programs of early black firefighters. Okay. And I'm going to test you, okay? So we'll ring the bell again to wake you up and get ready to come down the pole and get on the truck. Are you familiar with the name George Linwood Bland? No, not at all. Okay. Well, let me take you to school, sir. George Linwood Bland was a part of the Baltimore City Fire Department in 1955 until his retirement in 1976. And he worked as a member of the Hook and Ladder Squad. And I'm reading this from his funeral program. He was born in 1924 and graduated from Dunbar High School, Eastside, and Morgan State College. So is that good information for you, sir? That's very good information. And it reflects the level of education that individuals had coming into the fire department. The first individuals came in in 1953, October of 1953. Mm-hmm. The first that were eligible to test were in October, the summer of 1953, since in June of 1953, the Baltimore City Fire Department decided that they would desegregate. Right. So this gentleman has already been to college. I left out that he was also a United States Marine Corps and he received an honorable discharge as a corporal in 1946. See, there you go. See, so he was not playing. (laughs) So we got military and a a lot of them had college. Right. So this is the caliber of individual that was recruited to open the doors 
for individuals like me. That's why I say I prove that I stand on their shoulders. I, I love it, and you do. You, you do, and that's why I was anxious to be able to speak with you and share your story and your effort with our audience. Also, I have one more for you. Charles Harris Snooty Brown. Do you know that name? Nope. He transitioned in 2001. Interestingly enough, attended Dunbar High School, Eastside, and Lincoln University in Pennsylvania. Oh. Okay. He also was a member of the Marine Corps and received an honorable discharge. He joined the Baltimore Fire Department in 1954 and served as a lieutenant for many years, retiring in 1980 after 26 years of exceptional service. Yes, yeah, I, I didn't come into 94, so these and, guys were, were beating the system by the time I came in, huh? Right, they were. The, the, these were two things I wanted to tease you with. The real kicker is that we have pioneering politician Walter Thomas Dixon's archive. And in uh -huh. 1955, he becomes the first black city councilman in 24 years downtown. So can you imagine black Baltimore almost going a, a quarter of a century without any Negro representation down at City Hall? Uh, yeah, I can imagine that because I'm surprised that we had some 24 years earlier. Yeah. So Walter Dixon was working on behalf of firefighter Clyde E. Richardson Jr., truck company number one who wanted to transfer to truck company number 18 so i'm like okay look at this the black firefighter is now leaning on the black city council person to help him get where he needs to go and i think that's the way it's supposed to work well the fact that he was able to get it done <laughs> that whole thing was how black baltimore worked back then a lot of advocacy from the Civic and... The, the NAACP? And Urban League as well. I was going to say and, Urban League next, yes. Mm -hmm. As well as the faith community. So let's get into the good stuff. Mr. Richardson is alive, even though he's dealing with a bit of dementia now. But other than that, he's... What? He's, in, he's, he's alive? Yes, he's alive. One of the things that when I saw the letter... Oh my gosh! 18 truck... I called my adopted grand godfather. Wait, wait a minute. Who, who's your adopted grand god? I love that. Grand godfather. <laughs> yeah. My adopted grand godfather. Never heard that phrase before. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, he, he he's old enough to be my grandfather. And I had to adopt him uh, at that level since he didn't want to be any closer. Okay. But, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Roy Parker, who was in the first class. Okay. October of 1953. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Parker and another gentleman, Mr. Lindsey Washington, were assigned to 18 Trump. I love it. Yes. And so they're both assigned directly out of the first class. Mm, mm, Mr. Mm. Mr. Washington did not retire from the Baltimore City Fire Department. He left earlier. But Mr. Parker did retire from the Baltimore City Fire Department. And... Even though he didn't retire from 18 truck, he did a lot of time there and did his last years down at the fire boat. Mm, mm. But Mr. Parker, my adopted grand godfather, <laughs> when I saw 18 truck, I picked up the phone and called him and asked him about Mr. Richardson. And he said that him and Mr. Richardson became very close and almost like family. I and love it. Who knew? Daughter, who, George, who his, knew? Yeah, who knew? Yeah. And his daughter refers to uh, him as uh, Uncle Clyde. And, uh, oh, that's so touching. Uh, mm. And so that's how close these guys were. 
And so I just got to tell you, now we have a lot of different artifacts in the Name Jack and Carmen LLC archives that I could have selected to send to you to talk about today. But I don't know what drew me to this particular letter because I did not know the backstory that you're giving me. Well, the master has the plan. Right, and well, yeah. I'm glad that both of us can be <laughs> part of it. Yeah, well, so, so am I. So Uncle Clyde is, let's see, I'm looking at some census work. He was born November the 16th, 1928. Okay. And I'm not going to do that. Oh. <laughs> so he's about 92 or so? Okay. My and, and my grand-godfather's just turned 95. Oh, my Lord. What a blessing. Yeah. What a blessing. Yes. I stopped by his house because I had not seen him. He doesn't come out in the winter because... I don't blame him. I don't want to go out in the winter either, okay? I don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> so so I, I called him periodically, at least once a month. Sure, sure. And so I called him during the spring when the weather broke and said, oh, I guess uh, I won't be singing now this COVID is going on. And so he, uh, he, he, he laughed and says, yeah, he says, uh, this, this should, hopefully it'll be over since I talked to him again in June and <laughs> say, I have to see you. Right, you know, right. I haven't seen you all winter. Usually we go out for lunch or right, you know, sure. something. Yeah. The last time we were together was for Mr. James Crockett's uh, yeah, So yeah, yeah. We, we were together all day and he, I, I didn't want to keep him out too long. That sure. long. Right, right. But hey, he was loving it. His wife said, next time he says he didn't want to go anywhere, make him go anyway. Right. He loves it. He comes back and he talks about it. Right, so, right. I love the rapport that you have with your grand godfather. That, that's just wonderful. Yeah. It's like family, so I had to bring yeah. him in. Right, right. He, and he accepted me, so that's the most important. Well, and, and just look at the wisdom that you get from sitting with him. And, and one of the things I'm always trying to get the younger folks to understand is to spend as much time as you can soaking up like a sponge the information and knowledge and, and experiences and stories that our elders can provide to us and for us. Yes. And yes. so look how you've been enriched. And when you saw the letter, you knew right away that you could call. And I'm sure it kind of brought some excitement to him as well. Did it not? Yes, it did. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. His <laughs> mind going back to those days. Sure. Because he was really a good friend he was. Mm, mm, mm. I'm so thankful that the spirit guided me to pull that to send to you as opposed to some other material. And talking to him, because mm -hmm. we ended up. Having a, I stopped by his house and said, hey, we've got uh, to see you. You're going to turn 95 on Friday. So I'm here to see what a 94-year-old looks like because I got a whole year to look at a 95-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> and I asked him, the first question was, did Brother Richardson make it to 18 Trump? That's when he said yes. And we, we were good friends before, but we really became close afterwards. But the interesting story about 18 Trump, which is Walbrook Station, first station in the city to have a name. When the fire department was first desegregated, it was de desegregated and a lot of departments around the country, they still had segregated companies, like all black companies. Okay. So Baltimore City decided, no, we're going to just integrate everybody into the system that we have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So at the same time, they still had segregated facilities. So they had the black bed, the black wash bowl, right. the black toilet. So And what about racial relations? How, how about some, some nasty words being thrown hurled your way? Well, his experience and most people experienced that, that I had that gave me detail didn't 
say any, anything like that. Okay. Some others that wouldn't talk in detail, <laughs> right. they would say they would just say it, it was bad. Right, 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 right. But at 18, Trump, Mr. Parker said, he said, "Yeah, I think we were the first to desegregate our, our facilities." I said, "Really?" I said, "What makes you think that?" He says, "I know it." I said, "Why well, do you know?" It? He, said, <laughs> he said, "They split the bathroom in half." So there's only two of us in the whole firehouse. So I had two wash bowls to myself. <laughs> I love <laughs> and it. They're standing in line to wash their face. <laughs> see that? Can't you see that? I wish I could draw. That's a perfect illustration, is it not? Yeah. So he said, "Not go." They said, "Parker's in and out, and we're still there in line." He said, "What?" <laughs> so that's what the captain said. Just use whatever wash bowl you want. Just use whatever you want. <laughs> That's a great story. There were only yeah. two there. I, I can see those white firefighters lined up and not too happy that uh, they can't go. And of, course, and, of course, these two were on different shifts right, because right. they only had one bed. Right, 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 right. I love it. So talk to me right now about the exciting news that Baltimore is uh, involved in because Baltimore could always use some exciting positive news. Well, on the 16th of September, the Board of Estimates accepted our proposal to acquire a firehouse, a 115-year-old firehouse in East Baltimore's Oliver community, and take that firehouse and turn it into a Black Firefighters Museum. So does that make you one of the busiest people in East Baltimore right now? <laughs> oh, that makes you one of the busiest people in the city. <laughs> <laughs> so, congratulations, kudos. When you formed your nonprofit, was this the end goal or it just kind of evolved into that position? No, interesting story. Just like applying to shut my grandmother up. Right, right. We... <laughs> we started the organization in 2009, January okay. 2009. And we started the organization because, like I said earlier, the first group of firefighters came into the Baltimore City Fire Department in October of 1953. Mm -hmm. But there were 41 that were eligible that took the test. Right. So 10 came in in October 1953. 10 came in December of 1953. And in February, February the 8th, 1954, the last group of 21 joined the Baltimore City Fire Department. And in that class was a young man who advocacy and legacy goes far, Charles Thomas. He told the members of the class, he said, after this, there'll be no more first. After us, this is it. And we need to make sure that we have a reunion every year mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to recognize the significance mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. what we're doing. That's right. And they did that. Yes. And on their 55th anniversary, since we didn't see anybody do anything for their 50th. Which was, which was 50, unfortunate. Which was unfortunate. Which was unfortunate, yes. yes. But for their 55th anniversary, that somebody else could celebrate them. That's right. So I went to a like-minded group of individuals and said, hey, you know, let's do this. And you all already have some type of structure. My um, godfather at the time, it was his idea because mm -hmm. he had came in when these individuals were there. So he knew these people personally. That's right. That's right. So he said, 
George, whatever it is, I'll take care of it. So I, I love it. That touches my heart. Yeah. So we formed the African American Firefighters Historical Society simply to do one event. What a story. And what a story. One event morphs into years later. Years later, annual events. And then after doing so many events, we would have people because we would not only cover Baltimore, we cover folks from all over the country. And when folks would come and see hear other stories and that excitement, it's like, okay, what events we need to do something to pull all these stories together, pull, do a big picture of African-Americans in the fire service and make it something that will be the legacy for all African-American firefighters to be able to refer to. In essence, this will be a national representation and not solely a local. Oh, definitely national. Yeah, no doubt about it. And right now, can you tell me the name of the oldest living black firefighter? Brother Parker, 95. I was going to ask you if you was your grand, your grand godfather. <laughs> because in the last several years, we've lost quite a bit. Yes. These guys are living to the 90s and mid and late 80s and doing well. Before him, it was a auxiliary firefighter, Delmar Davis. He was 99, a couple of months shy of 100 when he died. My, my, so, my. And see, when you bring up the word auxiliary, some folks know Smokestack Hardy. Right. What's the number one need right now that the public could do to help you? Would it be letter writing, financial support, artifactual support, labor? What could someone do once they hear this podcast and they, they got to get involved with your wonderful endeavor? Financial support. Then go to our website. Uh, African American Firefighters Historical Society dot org mm-hmm. or AAFFHS dot org. Okay. And hit the donate button, and we'll be setting up a cash app here soon. Okay. So if they have someone in their family or that they know in their church to make grandma happy yeah. in their community <laughs> that has made a historic contribution, we still want to know about that now. Right. Right. So right. that we can address that. And because we wouldn't be where we are if we weren't doing those specific things. Exactly. And we, we like to say we like to give people their flowers while they can smell them. I agree, 100%. And there's a three for Give them their flowers while they can smell them. Mm-hmm. Tell them how much we appreciate them while they can hear them. Yes. Hear it. And show them that their legacy is valuable while they can see it. I love it. That makes sense. And, and that's not done enough. Honestly, it's not done enough. I get very upset when I read uh, an obituary and I realize that nobody recognized the male or female for their great contribution. I'm like, how did I not know that? You know, that was your neighbor. You know, that was a person that worked at the garage or that person taught at your school or did something. And you had no idea. You know, that the person was a Tuskegee Airman or pioneering firefighter or early educator or a Negro League player or just, you know, early politician. I'm like, how do we not know this? Well, I'm going to tell you what I found, and especially in talking to my grand godfather, is these guys were really humble. I was getting ready to say that. You took my thunder, brother. I was going to talk about the humbleness that our elders used to have. Mm -hmm. and, And then the other part about it, a lot of them look at it as bracket. Right. And I'm like, no, if you did that, you can say you did it. Right. 
<laughs> and see, today we have young folks on YouTube talking about flexing. Let me flex for a minute. And that's just mm -hmm. slang for talking about who I am and what I do and blah, 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 how good I am. So right. we had the exact opposite back in the 50s with regard to the pioneering work of these black firefighters. We've got a, another gentleman I'm really close to him and his, his family. The second individual is Mr. Collick, Mr. Edward Collick, who was the first fireboat Lieutenant Polly. Yeah, I, I read about him when I was preparing for you. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it's like, who knows? Who knows? But going back to what you, you said, because I just knew he was the first black fireboat lieutenant pilot when we went to honor him so but once we find out this is gonna honor him now i gotta get the story right so i started talking to him sure sure and after he told us this long awesome <laughs> story <laughs> and i tell all our honorees they need to write a book right 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 he is the only firefighter that has taken me up on that uh, so it's, it's actually being put together. His, his daughter and granddaughter, his granddaughter is an English teacher. I didn't know that though. Love it. Wonderful. Over the summer. Wonderful. But, so it should be out here soon. So with that said, let me ask you something else. What else do, do, do you need at your new building? Are you going to have exhibits, a digital, physical? I mean, talk to me about the overall plan so we can get people even more excited. Of course, we're going to have exhibits. So the exhibit will cover firefighters, African-American firefighters from the early firefighter stages. One of the questions was, how far back does that go? Took my thunder again, but go on. Handle your business. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, one of uh, Malcolm X's famous speeches, he made this statement. He said, when the boss's house was on fire, you fought harder to put the house up than the boss did. And people <laughs> laughed. And it, he said it sarcastically. But if you look at it, who was there to put the fire out? Who was the manual laborer? So we'd <laughs> like to find that story, that story of uh, the slave firefighters. Woo. Loving it, loving it. Uh, so whatever documents that can come from there, we're definitely going to do digital, online, whatever stories that individuals have, references that can be authenticated. We like to have as many of those as, can, as we can get. I'm getting ready to hit you with a gift, okay? Thank you. You already tested me where I, I think I'm, I'm running with an 80 now, 85. You're giving yourself a little too much credit there, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look, can I pass with a 70? Yes, I'm going to let you pass. Several years ago, I was working with PBS with a, a TV show entitled Chesapeake Collectibles, where I was the appraiser for Black Americana for eight years. One day, a black gentleman walked in with a magnificent bugle or fireman's horn, and it was coming from... Cape Fear Fire Engine Company in Wilmington, North Carolina. He could not believe that I was aware of the horn or bugle because I had lectured and consulted in Wilmington and was well aware of the role of blacks in the fire department in the 1800s there. So I just totally blew that man away because so right away I knew. So I'm going to try to see if I can then connect him to you and that would be a, a wonderful story. Oh, yeah, definitely. And those are the type of things that we will have in our general exhibitions. One part of the museum will be our 
rotating exhibit. Sure. Because every jurisdiction has a story. New York City has a story. Chicago has a story. Atlanta has a story. Charlotte, North Carolina has a story. Today, we're doing this interview on the 3rd of October. This is the 50th anniversary of the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters. Oh, stop it. I did not know that. The 1st of October was, was the first day of the National Professional Black Firefighters Convention. At the end, so the name is Structure Committee, reported out the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters. So that was adopted. Adopted the Constitution for the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters. And they elected the officers for the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters. I knew you were going to be dropping knowledge here and there and all around, but this was superior to even what I was expecting. So, again, how can the, the folks reach you? You want to give me your email? Yeah, yeah. You can reach my email. It's uh, the initials of the organization, AA, African American, FF, Firefighters, HS, Historical Society, AA, FFHS54 at gmail.com. Okay, and can people find you on social media platforms such as Facebook? Yes. What would be one guiding light sense word, phrase, or something, a motto that, that you use to keep you moving forward with this important work? That's a good question. I guess this, we do our little part. If everybody do that little bit, the world will be so much more better place. Well, and your little bit will lift up a, a, a quite a bit of hearts, of minds, bodies, and enlighten the folks that have been in the dark. I got one more thing. April this year is the 100th year anniversary of the first documented African Americans to apply to the Baltimore City Fire Department. We can't find the names, but there's a some paper article that has that information in it. And the title of the article is now, or the subtitle is now Negroes have their eye on the fire department. Oh no! Well, you know what? I much rather have us on the fire department as opposed to the eyeballing some chicken or watermelon. Okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. Okay. So that leads me to how I want to wrap this up. Unfortunately, my earliest understanding of the Black Fire Department comes from a very negative, racist, stereotypical component of the Courier and Ives Dark Town Fire Brigade that was created in the 1880s and 90s. That is what is an imprint within the mind and eyeballs of many Americans because these characters were very popular because Curry and Ives were everywhere. Are, are you familiar with them? I'm familiar with them and it's only just recently people have been telling me about it for about 10 years or so. And it's so nice to have or what you've created that can counter that stereotypical racist caricature of Darktown uh, Fire Brigade. Yeah. You're bringing the authentic firefighter experience to light from a global perspective. And it's gonna be housed where the last time? East Baltimore, the address? East Baltimore, the Oliver Community Firehouse on Harford Avenue. All right, I wanna thank you for your wonderful conversation and exciting work and Godspeed in your endeavors. Thank you very much and thank you for the work you're doing and thank you for con continuing to do it because if we met in 2000, here it is 20 years later, it's a good thing that we can reconnect and and move forward together from here. And I hope you still have some hair because I've lost most of mine. <laughs> Mine's turning gray. Silver. Okay. And I refuse to cut <laughs> or dye it. So thank you.